Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How are you? I'm awesome. PSAC is still on strike and I um, I love it. It's it's an interesting strike because, I mean, in my day-to-day life, I have not actually come across a picket line at all. And uh, that's, I mean, just a, maybe a comment on where I am and where I've been, but it's 155000 workers on strike. It's amazing and it's historic. And I'm a little confused uh, by how little I'm seeing by it. But it fits really, really well with exactly what I just experienced with my own partner's strike for four and a half weeks, where again, it wasn't very noisy, but they totally won actually in the end. It's interesting because it's like, it is very visible in a way because I mean, it's also tax time. So everyone's getting I mean, you can't not know that it's happening and there's certainly quite a lot of news on it. But that's interesting to hear that there's not a lot of uh, like picket lines or actions happening. And I wonder if there's stuff planned. Maybe it's um, an escalation that's planned. Mm. But either way, solidarity to all of our labor comrades in PSAC who are fighting the good fight. Totally, totally. And if you're not sure about what they do or like what they're on strike over, you know, get educated, figure this stuff out. And and one of the things that I think that really helps put all of this into perspective is these workers are fighting for pretty modest increases of their wages. And let's say what modest means, it's like they're fighting for 4.5%, which is not very much money if you're in the average wage area of about $60,000. But Sandy, did you see the news this past week about how much money we are giving Volkswagen to build a plant here? <laughs> I did I did I did I also saw your math on it on Twitter um, which is I yeah. think you said uh, it's like twenty thousand dollars to Volkswagen per job is that what you said no 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 twenty thousand no what did you say I said it was four hundred and thirty three thousand dollars per very optimistic numbers of workers. So they're going to invest $13 billion and hopefully create 3,000 direct jobs. No, that doesn't make any sense, Nora. Are you sure you didn't say $45,000 per worker? No, no. And I'm actually just doing the math again because when I was doing it, I didn't have a calculator that like divided my zeros. And so I couldn't see if I'd actually gotten the like 1.3 billion correct. And, um, and it's, it is that. It's $433,333 per worker that we are handing to Volkswagen to build North America's first electric battery plant in St. Thomas, Ontario. Well, it's really great that those workers are going to be paid $200,000 a piece, right? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, surely that's the only way that this makes sense, <laughs> at least. Uh, well, you know what? Because I've been doing nothing but reading about free trade in the last little while, I have to say that this is an amazing... The, the amazing natural result of free trade. So free trade originally reduces tariffs, which were often placed on exports and on imports to try and protect local industries, right? So you have tariffs that help to make sure that internally your, your, your manufacturers, your furniture builders, your clothing makers or whatever aren't having to compete with like a global market. So, okay, so we got rid of all the tariffs and then you're being forced to compete with the global market, which meant that jobs disappeared. A lot of jobs went to jurisdictions that were, you know, more, uh, that were easier to operate in because they were cheaper or whatever. And now we're just 
handing Volkswagen $13 billion, being like, please come and, and open a plant over here. Like that is that's amazing. If you think about it that, like like that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, it's pretty awful and unethical, especially given all of the different choices our government could make to spend that money to make uh, people's lives better. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. we choose both industry and war, um, as is typical. <laughs> well, and also, so there you go. When, whenever anybody's like, well, public sector workers can't be paid more because we have no money. We are literally handing money to Volkswagen, literally just $13 billion. Take it to say nothing of all the money that we're spending on war. So fuck, I don't know. I think that's, um, that says that there is actually money. And maybe if there was less money in the coffers of the federal government, they wouldn't be able to make a freaking deal like that with Volkswagen. Well, I hope Volkswagen is at least grateful. I know <laughs> I am for something completely different. <laughs> Do we have some people to thank this week, Nora? We have a couple of people to thank, literally. Uh, thank you so, so much to Anna and Desmond for your support. We really appreciate it. And thank you to everybody who shares the podcast. I know you have to hear us saying that all the time, um, but uh, there you go. And I do know that we've got a very small but uh, loyal group of folks that are listening on YouTube, which is very cool. And, and you YouTube is where you can actually get the episodes captioned. And so if you didn't know we were on YouTube, check us out. Look for Sandy and Nora. Don't go to the weird mom who has two kids named Sandy and Nora and is just uploading videos of them. Uh, it'll be very easy to see. Oh my God, no way. To see. There's, like, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. like two siblings named Sandy and Nora. That's <laughs> yeah. so funny. Yep. Are they black and white? <laughs> They're on the front page of the National Enquirer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to everybody who's like younger than 30 who won't understand what the hell that means and probably actually younger than 35. (laughs) I have something to say about our TikTok account, which is that sorry to everybody who's been following and it's like, what happened the last two weeks? I will tell you, I dropped my phone in a puddle um, (laughs) and it broke. So anyway, I have a new phone now. So stay tuned for this week for more content (laughs) on our TikTok. Thank you to all of you who have followed us. And if you haven't yet, you know that we have a TikTok. And also, I finally don't have a blue check on Twitter. So I, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, not that that will change anything about my Twitter usage. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's, you know, that's a a, a hilariously dying brand still. So Mm -hmm. if you're there, um, I still see what you say, even though I don't respond. Um, Nora, I have an idea. Oh, Uh, Is it um, to talk about how hilarious it is that the CBC is already no longer called a government funded Twitter account? Oh, no, I didn't know about that. But let's follow up on that. No, I was going to say that I think I would like some some more audience interaction. And I think that a way that we can do that is by having a sort of ask us anything episode. What do you think? Ooh, I love it. Yes, yes, yes. Great. Okay, so here's the deal, everyone. If you folks have questions for us or some things that you just want to know what we think about the topic, maybe you need some advice. Maybe you want to know how we've done something that you've seen that we've done in the past. I don't know. Whatever it is, send us your questions. You can send them through our email. You can send them through Instagram, TikTok, wherever. We'll, we'll find them. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll make sure to schedule an episode to focus on your your suggestions, your queries, and uh, we'll, we'll get some interaction going. I love it. The email address, in case it's not saved in your email addresses already, is Sandy and Nora at protonmail.com. OK, so so Twitter has shifted things again. 
for CBC? I mean, there's nothing. I thought CBC <laughs> left. Say, but I thought CBC left. How could they switch to switch it? <laughs> They're gone. And Twitter was like, well, because we were trolling this whole time. Here you go. Um, now you've got nothing on your account saying that you're government funded. So that's been a week, a week. And uh, and the aftermath, the CBC was like, whoa, we will not be insulted like this. We're we're off Twitter. And now and now there's no tag anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know when they come back. <laughs> oh, Okay, that was like um, it's quite a fizzle to to that um, fizzle of a story, anyway. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. There you go. So I thought it was a good joke. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know if we needed to actually have a segment on it. So there you go. No, I don't think so. Uh, anything else to mention before we get into our story tonight? Yes, yes. I know that there's a lot of folks who are watching what is going on in Sudan right now. And there is, if you haven't been paying attention, there is a, basically, I mean, violence or escalations to something that might look like a civil war between two military factions. So there's the Sudanese National Army. And then there's an organization called the Rapid Support Forces. And they have enough power in Sudan that up until this violence erupted, they were in a power sharing agreement with the Sudanese military. And actually, the head of this faction organization was the vice counselor or the vice deputy or whatever of the military council. So their pact has collapsed and violence has broken out and civilians are caught in the crossfire. Now, there are Canadians who are stuck in Sudan and they can't get out. Yeah, um, I think this weekend the government has announced that they are getting Canadian diplomats out, but they will not be able to get Canadian civilians out, of which there are, uh, a, the estimate is about 1,600 uh, Canadian people who are in the country, some of which may be able to get assistance by the UN, but uh, the Canada is, is shutting down their consular services, which means that um, people who don't have passports may be stuck. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, Canada has sort of said that they're not able to do anything uh, right now, which is uh, really unacceptable. Like, I just I don't fucking understand, uh, like, why such a decision would be made. Like, it feels like, you know, for some conflicts, uh, Ukraine, you know, uh, like anything will be done. Uh, to get people to safety, whether they are Canadians or not Canadians, and for other conflicts, uh, you know, uh, where people are darker um, or black, uh, the, you know, the candidate not so willing to take risks to make sure that people are safeguarded, whether they are Canadian or not. So, um, in any case, I know that uh, people who are listening may be directly affected or know people who are directly affected. And, uh, you know, like this just must be such an awful thing. We should be talking about it. We should be uh, understanding what's happening and also making clear to our governments that this is uh, unacceptable, that you can't just abandon people in times of crisis. Yeah. And there also kind of seems to be something going on at Global Affairs Canada that maybe they don't really know what they're doing. I don't know if you heard the, the news last week. I mentioned it on the Daily News that five people, five women and, and teenagers were supposed to be evacuated from northern Syria after being held by, uh, by, by, by Kurdish forces. And the day of the repatriation flight, these five women and girls went missing. And they have been recaptured and put into various Syrian jails that are operated by the Kurds. And it's kind of remarkable, like the idea that Canada can't even have a safe plan to get people who have been negotiated to be able to leave the country. 
uh, to, to then safely leave. And I'm not seeing very much news about this. I think that, you know, the fact that we have so few international reporters is a huge problem. And this is where you see it the, the, the most, right, because there's just not very much news on this stuff. But that's a huge failure of Global Affairs Canada. And here we have another huge failure of Global Affairs Canada. I haven't heard Melanie Jolie say shit about what's going on in Sudan. Maybe I missed it. But again, yeah, pay attention. Watch what's happening. Watch for calls for support and solidarity, as there have been for sure some. But also, like, Canada, what the hell? Like, we suck. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Well... From that and from us criticizing actions of government, though also offering solutions like, uh, I mean, just evacuate people, bring planes, do what you can, do everything you can. This episode is going to talk about when critique is enough, when there's been enough critique, when we only have critique, what happens to the solutions? What happens to the good ideas? And why does it feel so hard to actually have a good idea <laughs> these days. I'm not speaking on myself, uh, my own, on my own behalf, by the way. I've got a lot of great ideas. <laughs> I know you do too, Sandy. <laughs> I sure do. Um, yeah, I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. It's just, it just feels like, I mean, we've had an episode about this before, right? Where we've talked about critique and how critique should be strategic. Like when we are critiquing one another, or we're critiquing tactics that we're always doing so in advance uh, in attempting to advance either a better strategy or a strategy altogether. And that our critique itself has a strategy that we are uh, attempting to contact people directly where we can and not, and not making critiques that uh, uh, could be dangerous to other people in public spaces (laughs) because that happens to all too often. And the police are everywhere Mm. folks. Um, But I think that there's like a second piece to that conversation, which is that not only are we like, really bad at uh, not doing critique strategically, I think that we are also quite terrible at uh, celebrating good ideas or encouraging good ideas even. Let's not even get to, to celebration. And that, I think, is making it really hard for people to even try to have new ideas. Mm. Okay, I want to actually back up before we get into that, because as you were talking, I thought of this situation that I saw online that I kind of experienced online, I think is a really good illustration of this, like, when are we critiquing in a way that is not helpful? And I'm I'm also always thinking about this as I critique stuff all the time. And I'm aware of what I'm saying and wondering if I'm being too harsh or not strategic or whatever. But I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. There was um, an article in the CBC, this feature on anarchists and anarchists having destroyed or vandalized a coastal gas link site in northern British Columbia. Did you see this feature? Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. So the feature like just talked about anarchists and, and had no evidence at all linking certain people to the vandalism, like at all, at all, at all. And the whole thing seemed to be sole sourced from the RCMP trying to make it look like anarchists have infiltrated uh, Wet'suwet'en organizing and it's and it was you know complete bullshit and the representatives at Wet'suwet'en were saying like this is just a tactic to divide us okay fine and so I had a long kind of analysis of the article and the analysis was not um, people were not critical of my analysis until the last thing that I wrote which was like wow after I read that article it seems like even more possible that Coastal Gaslink did it to themselves that this was a false flag that they just you know found someone to Uh, dress in all white, famously anarchist colors, and trash the camp because, of course, they had it on camera. And 
a whole bunch of people responded to me to say that I was being unfair and even harmful because anarchists do have the ability to do these things and saying that they don't have the ability to do these things, that was the police, puts people into danger. And the more and more people use this line, the more and more it sounded like they were saying that they had information about what was happening. I, Wait, I don't you, know. Can you, like, back I up. can you just back up? Can you explain <laughs> yeah. how people thought that this was putting people in danger? Well, because they thought if they were going to engage in radical action, that they might get snitch jacketed, that they might have people say, actually, they're cops. They're doing uh, agent agent provocateur stuff, and that'll get them into even more danger, I think was the logic. I honestly didn't follow it super well, which is why I'm probably explaining it in a way that's making you go, what? Because that's exactly how I was responding it to myself. I was like, huh? Yeah, because I mean, what you're saying is like you saying that, you like making that suggestion puts other people in danger because it because other people will think that when somebody suggests a radical action that is that involves uh property destruction that they will be a cop because you said it one time on twitter yeah that's the logic logic, that's a really i mean that's that's uh, i mean yeah that it's possible (laughs) I, yeah, I, I too rejected the logic and I was like, this is ridiculous. And actually, if you're going to have these kinds of to- like conversations online, um, uh, don't, <laughs> don't have these conversations online. Cause I don't know who you are. Like it was all anonymous, which is also very, that's actually very dangerous and annoying. And I know that people guard their anonymity for all sorts of legitimate reasons. But if you're going to talk about illegal practices, you cannot have that conversation as an anonymous person with someone who's not anonymous. I cannot engage in that conversation. We're like, all of our DMs are being read, folks. Like, what the fuck are you trying to entrap me? And then all of a sudden, of course, I'm going to assume I'm talking to someone who's law enforcement because it's an account that I've never interacted with. And maybe you're totally an amazing anarchist and you're doing amazing, amazing work. But how the fuck am I supposed to know? Right. So it was an interesting moment where it was like I wanted to and I did I did make the point. It was like if we're going to critique the point where critique gets dangerous is if you start to put people into risky situations like uh, well, won't you, don't you, don't you believe in, I don't know, breaking the law? And it's like, I personally have no problem in saying, yes, I think we have to break the law. Not everyone's going to say that. And you don't want to like up your activist cred by forcing someone online to like admit that breaking the law is good or admit that property damage is good, right? Because they might not be ready to say that. They might not be there yet. They might not be anonymous. Like you might be anonymous, you know, it's a lot of weird things like that. So I just wanted to, to point that out because it was a really... It was it was one of the, the the only moments in the last like long time online where I was like, this is fucking weird. And it was like a point made by five or six people who all had the same point. So I kind of imagine that they were all kind of like maybe they knew each other, organized together, or whatever, came from the same tendency or perspective. But um, but yeah, so there you go. They're a little backup point on on when critique can be a bit not strategic and a bit dangerous. <laughs> but there you go. I thought that uh, I thought that I'd just uh, throw that out there. Yeah. And I also think that there's a way that, I mean, we've, we've made this point in the, in the critique episode, so please go back and listen to it. But just as a, if you haven't heard it yet, but just as like a, a a summary, you know, like there's, um, there's a number of different tactics that we can take whenever there's something awful that's going on that we want to address, um, as activists. And, uh, one of what I think is the easiest is to 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 critique it. It's also very necessary to critique it. I think that that's um, incredibly important and an incredibly important part of our activism. But I think as more and more of our activism 
becomes online and as risk taking becomes more and more uh, fraught, uh, I think that people are just stopping at at the critique too. And it's the only way that we know how to interact with each other in a lot of ways. It's like, um, actually, Nora, um, you're saying this thing, which which may be helpful to us overall or not, I don't know, but either way, I'm going to critique you <laughs> because it's what I know how to do, which is okay, fine. Let's put that aside. Again, re- listen to that episode if you want to hear more about our analysis on that. But I think what I'm like really struggling with and wanting to see us sort of figure out how to get out of is this culture of never supporting a good thing. You know, I, I don't, I think we, we sort of try to wrap ourselves in or contort ourselves as much as possible to try to critique everything to make sure that it's like, you know, like I have found the deficiency. Here's the deficiency. Here's the thing that doesn't work. Or here's the thing um, that is um, illogical about it. Or here is the thing um, that is actually, if you think about it in this way, um, capitalistic. Or if you think about it in this way, um, uh, some sort of deficiency. And it's like, you you know what? Like most things are going to have some sort of deficiency. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if we had the perfect thing, uh, we wouldn't be living in the systems that we live in. Um, but is, it's, is it always necessary to name that as the, the primary thing, as our, as our primary engagement with uh, a tactic or strategy that somebody is taking? Is it necessary to name it publicly? Are there other types of engagements we could have with it? Are there ways that we can support uh, one another and champion one another? And I think it's just one of the things that is um, discouraging uh, to coming up with new ideas and to trying to be more creative because um, there is a risk involved if if someone might respond with a critique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it feeds into this feeling that I hear a lot from people, especially newer activists, that they just are so afraid of making mistakes. And I don't know how to respond to that sometimes because I want to be able to say, well, of course you're going to make, like, what the fuck? Everything, everything's a mistake. <laughs> you know, like, life is a fucking series of mistakes, folks. Um, but I understand what they're saying because it isn't the act of making a mistake. It's the, the reality that movements right now are in such a place that if you make a mistake, it could seriously burn you in different ways that um, that you might be afraid of, right? And, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about all the mistakes and all the wild stuff that we were involved in or saw in the student movement and how it was just a different world then. Like social media was used very, very differently and you could make mistakes and it wasn't really the end of the world in the same way that I feel like it is, that people feel like it is now. I'm not actually convinced that it is, um, but we just don't have very strong real life connections that make it so easy to just write someone off and dispose someone because you just don't know them, right? Like it's much harder to just never answer your friend's phone calls when they're your friend than it is to just never talk to uh, someone who you may have considered an internet friend for many, many years, right? And then maybe there was some sort of situation and it's just easier to just not communicate with one another because it's a message and you don't have to do that. You don't have to see each other. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I'm so critical about online 
organizing because you don't have to build those real life bonds. You don't have to build those kinds of connections. You don't have to navigate contradictions and all this kind of thing. And it is very, very easy to be like, whoa, this person, I don't know, did something bad and therefore like fuck them. So that there's there's that piece. And then the, the other I think with the real issue in all of this is that we collectively are so bad at championing our ideas and oftentimes it's because like we don't have any ideas or we or we might but we have a hard time articulating them or the ideas are just like um, very complex or like you can put a whole budget document together and say look the CCPA figured it out for us read this document here are all of our solutions but it's very hard to then like turn that into something that's like popular and understandable or whatever and because we exist in that space and because we're also under attack in a whole bunch of different ways I feel like we're so manipulatable and because of that, it's very difficult for us to put forward the solutions that we might have or to even trigger a discussion that could then create the solutions that we might generate if we had that kind of kind of conversation. Yeah. And I think there's also something to it a bit that's quite individualistic, too, because um, a lot of the ways that the critiques happen, it's not like, you know, this organization is putting out this critique about this strategy or this organization. It's it's not like a collective um, uh, sort of uh, people, a collective of people coming together, thinking about it and entering a discussion. Um, as a part of a community, it's typically coming up as like individual people who are saying, I think this, and it becomes uh, quite individualistic. And we really, really on the left, like privilege, like the power of that critique rather than the power of what whomever is being critiqued has done before or even after that. I mean, if I, if I think, and and this isn't just on the left, but like, if I think about um, the risk of that, I can think about you as an example, to be honest, (laughs) you know, you've, Oh yeah. Was it my comments on the Ontario science center? Because I'm thinking about that a lot right now, actually in this conversation. Oh no, but I'm sure whatever they were, that they were awful and and deserving of like really hard hitting critique at the science center. I mean, people were pissed that I was like, this is not, the end of the world, folks. <laughs> like, you're responding like this is. People feel done quite deal. strongly like, about the fact that the Ontario Science Center, uh, there was an announcement that Doug Ford made that uh, the Ontario Science Center is moving from one part of the city to another part of the city. Um, there are some implications there that uh, people might feel deeply about, like it's going to be a little bit smaller. It's may not be built. It's a different location. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very different location. Uh, and people feel uh, differently about that. And so I think, Nora, you made the critique that it, it it's like not that big a deal. And then a lot it's of It's not people... like the green belt being developed. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. And, it, it, it's, and I, the reason why I raised that is because it was, it was interesting because it's like, like, as you said, like, I'm just a random person. Like, who the fuck cares? Like, you know, I'm not a, an organization and I'm, I'm also being I was responding to someone saying that moving the, the, the Ontario Science Centre is is such a, a grievous decision that we need to call Doug Ford and the Conservatives, the Ontario Taliban now. And this was a comment being made by one of Canada's very few paid national columnists that writes for national newspapers. And I was like, holy fuck, like you folks have fucking jumped the shark. But anyway, <laughs> um, but but the way that I mean, yeah, the Taliban, what are you talking about? You racist piece of shit. Like, what the fuck? But the it, it was interesting because like. And I did not say this well. So the critique that I got, like, I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. Like, fuck, people were very, very pissed. But, like, when you have a government that understands that something like that is only going to piss off 
like the people that would never vote for you anyway. And the vast majority of the people who are like using the food bank or working way too much or whatever, they don't care. Like their kids are going to go to the fucking science center if it's there or here because they have the bus and they're in the school board and the school board will bus them. Like that's kind of the reality. Um, And I was trying to say like we're kind of missing the forest for the trees, but then people didn't like that. at all. Well, that is an example. It wasn't the example I was thinking of. (laughs) The example that I was thinking of was your comments on the hockey team. Um, So on the hockey uh, team, which one on, on, on hockey, on hockey and the the bus incident. Yeah. Yeah. You may remember it. I don't know. It was just like a part of your past. I don't know. Um, But, but in the aftermath of that, um, the, the critiques that you did get from people, uh, what I mean when I say like the, a lot of this stuff is really individualistic, um, what it resulted in for you is a lot of uh, like blocking of jobs, right? So as an individual, um, the the their, the critiques that you were getting both from you know like the left and the right and everywhere um, resulted in you being blocked in a in a number of ways and that didn't make sense as someone who is a person who has written a number of really smart, um, you know, uh, essays, um, opinion pieces, uh, news pieces, books, like how are you then blocked from commentary on anything? In fact, did we give you enough flowers? Did we give you enough support and championing during the times when you were writing those other things that, it would have been obvious that it was like ridiculous to blackball you um, for a comment that totally made sense. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And we have such a hard time, I think, championing where we should champion that it makes it extremely risky um, as individuals to, to, to think about you know, being creative in some ways and interjecting in creative ways. But also, I think that we know that it is easier as individuals to engage in critique as our number one, our primary engagement into any sort of social issue. Because, you know, at least, at least, at least you could still work as a writer, journalist or academic because you won't be blackballed in that way if you're just constantly critiquing. Okay, yeah. So now I see where you're going with this. And um, and it's, it is very, very interesting because there was this situation where, I mean, I never have to apply for stuff. That's just not like how my life is working these days. But I did have to apply for something once. And all of the stuff, if you search my name, was like pretty fucking negative, as you can imagine. And of course, there was a couple of things that I was able to share from a couple of people like um, David Gray Donald and Michael Stewart, Matthew Mur- Murphy Perron, who, who did write things immediately after that I was able to say, oh, no, here's like a take on what happened. That doesn't call me a fucking piece of shit. But it was funny because I had I, n- there was actually no positive anything <laughs> that I could like put in this application to be like, yeah, I'm not universally despised. And um, and it is funny considering like. Like, I know a lot of people that could do that work. And when I try to promote people, I mean, I can think of one situation recently, not that recently, but I was writing about something that an initiative someone was doing. And I thought that was pretty good that they were doing it. And they were very proud about what they were doing. And so I wrote about it. And what do you think the only comment I got in the article was? Who the fuck is this person? Why do they think that they have the right to do that kind of work? We've been doing this work forever. And how dare you hold them up and not us and from someone I know? And I was like, the fuck is what the the what 
<laughs> why? Yeah, this is. Why I mean, are this... you? Why are you telling me this? What am I supposed to do? Unpublish the article? Tell my friend uh, that that their activism is shit because they didn't ask your permission? Like, and and it was such a predictable response that it was like, what does this accomplish other than making me feel uncomfortable and and sad, frankly, for my friend uh, who's trying to do good work. And, and I don't even know. Maybe the critiques were fair or whatever, but it's like, wh- what does this do other than make me feel like fucking awkward about this? And then certainly judge you, <laughs> a person who's being in touch with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think what you're saying is is really fascinating because we, 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 we don't celebrate things enough. I mean, I, someone accused me once of never having anything good to say about anybody. I mean, fuck, in the whole Ontario Science Centre thing, someone accused me of hating the people of Toronto. And it was like, from someone who... I know. And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, what is wrong with people? Like, can we not, again, have criticism, but then not be like, well, actually, um, I've really fucking hated you for 10 years. And I just was waiting for the moment to say it aloud. It's very weird. And um, fine. I mean, you can say whatever you want about me. But if we're going to have any capacity on the left, people have to feel like they will be supported if they stick their neck out. And I have, it's true, I have stopped telling people People used to come with me with like whistleblowing stuff like, oh, I work in this environment and I know this is going to happen. I'm really scared. What do I do? And I would always say, like, if you have a community of people around you, they will get your back. I personally will do everything I can to make sure I promote, blah, blah, blah. And I'm actually not sure I would say that anymore to someone because I don't I don't know if there is that support out there. I don't know if people have that that knee jerk reaction to support things unless you're like told to support because sometimes you get like a message from someone saying, hey, could you boost this? And like and when I do that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, of course. But I mean, I don't have the capacity to go through everything to make sure I understand every single issue, but it's not good enough to just to just boost. Like we have to be thinking about how do we support the good ideas that are that are out there and 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 popularize good ideas that are out there and popularize experiments that are working, even if they're flawed. And that's a really big question, or those are really big questions. Yeah, it is. And it I mean the the implications are are pretty far reaching because if you if we for example, you know, there's a there's a number of new really great progressive news outlets that are have been popping up across Canada in the last uh like decade or so, more like 5 years. Um and that's great, right? But I can imagine a situation where um one of them publishes something that folks don't like. And uh, it gets a lot of critique, maybe some critique that goes viral. And then there are calls to, to not engage with that project anymore. But overall, that project is a great project. Overall, the idea of, uh, of progressive media, new progressive media in Canada is a great thing. Do we champion that enough? Do we say, like, this is really great? Do we support people enough to keep going and to to point in the right direction? In some ways, this also goes back to our um, episode on binary thinking, because things, the way that we engage with things on the left right now is is through this sort of um, veil or lens of purity. Like, things are either good or they are bad. And uh, things are either uh, worth it, or they are not worth it. And I think we've just got to be a little bit more discerning and nuanced than that. Because if I look to the other 
side um, to, uh, you know, what's going on in white supremacist world or uh, conservative world, they are championing mm-hmm. things all their time. They're making people feel so comfortable to try anything out, even if it is the most heinous of bullshit. They're making people feel extremely comfortable to try anything. And us with our critique, you know, part of um, the, the, the goodness of critique is to, to make people feel uncomfortable doing things that harm others. But the conservatives are so good at supporting one another and championing one another that they've pretty much insulated a number of their people from ever having to feel any shame or nervousness or consequence whatsoever because they are insulated by being championed. And we don't do that at all. Now, I can imagine people are hearing this, maybe not everybody, and they're thinking, but Sandy and Nora, like, look at how you tear down the NDP all the time. Look at how you tear down, I don't know, (laughs) other shit. (laughs) I don't know, other shit that sucks. What is the difference? Or is there a difference? Maybe we should do some self-criticism. Should we be more lenient with something like the NDP or something like established social movements that maybe take a tactic that is like, what the fuck was that idea? What's the difference here between that and maybe what we're talking about? You know what? That's that's a good point, actually. Like, I think that it's important to talk about what the difference is. I think that as we have said, strategic, the strategic. <laughs> that's good. Um, I'm. That that's mine now. <laughs> that's ours. I, I think strategic is like all we we should be doing. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. That is what. If you take anything from this episode, take that. All of your engagement should be strategic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, critique should always be strategic. And so, um, when when Nora and I are coming to the peoples with some critique, it may mean that we have engaged in another way with these folks or with folks uh, or have uh, engaged in some sort of conversations that are outside the podcast that uh, we have hoped to have had some other effect, And maybe it didn't have that effect. And maybe we're trying something else. But rest assured that often when we are bringing things to you, they are in uh, a mode of some sort of strategic action uh, or some sort of strategic engagement that follows something that we believe, like principally. So it may be the case that uh, you know we have tried to engage with something and there's a reason why we think that this critique in this way is warranted. Sometimes you want to reveal that and sometimes you don't. But I do think mm. that you know, like you, you need to think about it beforehand. And I think that we do that. Yeah. And I think I would, I would also go a bit further and, and, you know, when we're talking about the left, I mean, I'm sorry, but it doesn't include the NDP period. Like the NDP has for so many years and decades, decades and decades and decades has been so unhelpful, so actively harmful, so useless, so unstrategic that I don't consider them part of the left. Like they're, they're not part of the left. Like they might be part of a project that 
wants to balance servant serving capitalism and serving the status quo, but with minor reforms. But that's not left wing. Um, and then actually more importantly, they're an institution. And institutions absolutely need to be critiqued. I I used to, when I was a a young activist, I used to absolutely despise the tactics of some of the other left-wing groups that I would be in the same world as organizing around. And I remember the moment where I was like, I kind of shed all of that like criticism and I stopped being uncomfortable with tactics that like anarchists chose or tactics that different socialists chose or tactics that communists chose. I just was like, I might have critiques about them, but I, I'm no longer going to be like frustrated with the tactics that they that they chose. I mean, again, social media is different. So it's not like I would like condemn anarchists on online because that's not how we use the Internet back then. But um, I may have actually if it was now. I, I don't know. But I, long ago, I was like, this is this is ridiculous. Like I. I I can pretty much hold on to the critiques that I have of those groups. A lot of reasons being because I know about them. I know the fundamental flaws. I know why they're making the decisions that they make. And they're not institutions, really. I mean, the Communist Party is a bit more of an institution, but like barely. And so like, fine, whatever. But when it comes to like the NDP that has power in like elected power that has been government, I mean, not federally, but, you know, has held government in five provinces, you are no longer an activist. You are no longer granted the the kind of of grace and and um, benefit of the doubt that I think we do need to extend to all well-meaning activists. And you know, like when when the when the fucking federal NDP gives its support to allow Canada to have historic investments in the military, yeah, we got to critique that. <laughs> Sorry. We got to critique that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, like we may fall a little bit differently when when I think about I think the most important thing that you said there is that it's an institution and it's also part of government. And it's like government should always be critiqued. Part of the problem. And we, again, mentioned this on the other uh, critique episode. So go back and listen to it is that we engage with everything like everything's government, but not everything is government. Some things are very much government and some things are very much not government. <laughs> so. Uh, the NDP is an institution which is regularly in the government all over the country and as a result deserves uh, like has a different uh, relationship with criticism actually and it should be uh, critiqued in all ways I do think that there are a number of I'm thinking back to my um, my experience with the defund the police campaign and police abolitionism and how many MPPs and MPs I had to engage with during that time who were like too nervous to take the step and people who were part of uh, the NDP who were too nervous to take the step to say publicly, you know, during this like historic time when so many people were are like in favor of critique of the police, of, of doing the thing and being the party that is supporting um, the uh, the the obvious progressive point of view, which is that, you know, the police shouldn't exist. And so I I do think that there are a number of people who engage in the NDP, who are part of the NDP, who would consider themselves on the left. And it's like when when nor when you're saying like the NDP isn't the left, we're not necessarily talking about you individually, but there is a reason why you felt like you couldn't take the step 
to to be public, why it was so hard, why it was such a struggle in on the inside, the arguments that you were having around this when the principles are there. There's a reason why that felt so difficult. And there's a reason why all of those MPs and MPPs that I spoke to of them, very few said publicly while they were elected that this was policy that they support. Um, and that is because what you're saying is right. It's like the, the NDP overall as an institution is not on the left. Uh, and I mean, that's just like a part of democracy that we should be, you know, like if there's a political party that is in the, whether it is, you know, the communist party or the wild rose party, they should have a public critique in a different way. They're not the same as a as an activist group that is trying to have an impact on the system as it operates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say, though, too, that in the world of activist groups, I do expect more from folks who've been doing this for decades. And those kinds of discussions and debate, I don't tend to engage with them online very much. Um, if I'm critical of something, I, I have engage with them, though. That's not something that I've never done. I've recently done it. (laughs) But one of the things that I feel a lot of frustration and doom over is how bad everything is, like how bad everything is right now, and how those people who should know better, who have been organizing for a long time, don't seem to be bringing anything new to the table. And the problem is, is that we lack spaces to have that kind of conversation. And that's what part of the reason why we're so weak. And that's part of the reason why it then happens online. And I don't know, like I'm, I wish that I was in a position where I felt like I could create these spaces. I mean, I have created some spaces like them, but that weren't supposed to be permanent spaces. And so you can't go back and check in with that, with each other or whatever. Although maybe, maybe in one recent thing that I did, I should actually see if we can get people back in the room and check in with everyone, see how they are. But we we need to be in real life with one another and that's where the real support is and that's where you can get past a lot of these fake kinds of attacks on on people or on groups that don't really do anything and that just feed into like things being worse but it i don't know it's it's one of those things where i i feel really i know everyone's tired is all i can say i just keep going back to i know everybody's tired but it's like the moment demands us to get past that. And I'm, I often speak and write and do work in the perspective of like, oh my God, we're not even, we're not even kind of close to doing what we need to be doing right now. And a lot of listeners to this podcast will be newer activists being like, well, fuck, I feel that all the time. What are we supposed to be doing right now? But for the older ones, the ones who have, who who were active in the eighties, active in the nineties, active in the two thousands and two thousands tens, like you folks know what I'm talking about. And it's, it's really bad. It's really bad. Like we're, I think we're more broken than anyone probably thought that we would be 20 years ago. Yeah. And then just to bring it back full circle, it's like, yeah, I know we're tired, but what is one of the best antidotes to being tired is like support. If you, if you want to feel like, like energized and uh, feel like you can go on forever, it's like you need people to champion what you're doing when you take when you take some steps like that is what makes it possible and if we are making that like impossible for one another to 
do for one another, then it then it makes it really difficult to to have the sort of conversations that we should be having. Like, oh my God, it's like gosh, we should be, this is the time. Like, it just feels like it's so obvious that certain ideas should just be bursting at the seams right now. Like uh, a, a random idea off the top of my head, Nora, that, that should be bursting right now. Like why, why is, why is voting um, continue to be geographically located? Like, why is it, why are we like locked into these ridings and so on as though it is an, at all real anymore that, you know, because I live next to someone, <laughs> we're going to have a similar idea around how we should be treated and that we're going to have a representative that's going to represent our location. And that is the only place in which we should vote because we don't have an impact on other locations and other locations don't have impacts on us. Like, it feels like it's like really fucking obvious that that's like an antiquated way of making decisions. It feels like it's really fucking obvious that there should have been, you know, like, I don't know, some uh, democratic citizens groups like who have who've started to tear that down and there should be a lot of fervor around that like you know like another random idea is communications we've talked about that multiple times that you know like communications should be free that communications should be seen as like a human right and all of this but I don't know I'm just like is it are these things happening and I'm just missing it or is part of the issue that People are having these same thoughts, but just feel like they can't bring it forward because they don't have the support and the championing that they need um, to to take the chance to to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that people need to be challenged. We need to challenge ourselves to think about how to talk about things in uh, a different way, to not fall into scripts like we talk about all the time. And with those ideas you know, share those ideas and talk about, okay, what, what would it take to actually do something to fix something? And, you know, I'll go back to the Science Center example, because people were reacting to the announcement that they're going to destroy the Science Center, which is a, a building that was built in the 60s and has this magnificent, magnificent 60s architecture, just so Torontonian, brutalist, concrete, loving kind of stuff. And what struck me was like, this is not a done deal. <laughs> you folks can fight and win for it. Like, you you can you can win you can occupy it you can fight and I got a message from someone who was watching the the interactions that I was having who um, is very close to the science center I won't say anything more than that and they were like that was so inspiring to hear someone say that we could actually stop this and I'm like oh right because we are so fast to criticize someone like Doug Ford and should should obviously criticize him but so not quick to talk about how to win. Because it seems like it seems like impossible. Like how we cannot win against someone like Doug Ford. And it's like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. You just don't have the capacities right now. You don't you're not organized in the right way. You don't have the confidence and 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 it that can all be built. That can all be built. And Doug Ford knows that the nihilism that is built into the current moment is his best political tool that he has, that people who care so much about this, I mean, and you can transpose this example to anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the science center, but that people will not fight against it and it will not, and then they will not win. And that happened the same time as an, another, a huge victory for, for, for activists in Quebec city, which was a victory insofar as the 
something was decided by the government, which they had promised, and then they undid a promise, and they didn't have to undo the promise, other than, I mean, the, the project was ridiculous and would be difficult. It was called the Troisième Game, the, the connection between Levy and Quebec City. And this past week, the government finally announced that they can't do it after having promised and winning two elections on the promise that they could do it. And there was a lot of activism that went into that. A ton and ton, a ton, a ton of activism, even though people knew that it was such a ridiculous project, it would never happen. But they, but people had town halls and there was events and there were rallies and there was organizing and there was um, uh, education explaining why the heck this was such a ridiculous project. And so we like everyone needs to know and it's not an individual thing, but you need to you need to your, your initial reaction shouldn't necessarily be critique of a decision. It should be. I can fight this. We can fight this. We can build something to fight this because not everyone does need to be a critic. I mean, I'm a critic because that's what I'm, that's my job. I'm a, I'm a job. That's my, I'm a critic. Fucking I'm paid to do that, but you don't have to be, you can see it in a decision from Doug Ford. Like we're going to fuck over the, the green belt. You can see a decision like, um, that I'm seeing people saying that they're going to fight like the forced drug treatment in Alberta and be like, we're, we're going to fight this. We're going to make sure that this doesn't happen. And maybe you fight that through po- politics, but when you've got a majority government and you can't, you fight it through something else. And that, I think, is the most important thing, that if you get lost in critique and you're forgetting that actually every single one of these decisions can be fought and you can win, well, I mean, then, of course, you're going to feel like nothing's possible. 